0: What is up, podcast world? Co-host Darren Lake with Master of Some, a health and fitness podcast served up as a metaphor for life. This episode, we have your other co-host, Phil Cross, interviewing multi-podium finishing ultra-endurance athlete, Anna Marie Watson, over in the UK via the wonders of technology so yes it is a call-in interview a bit of admin as usual please make sure you subscribe rate and comment on apple podcast or follow us on spotify we're now on there you can hit us up on all the socials or email us talk some shit at master of pod.com with any and all feedback i won't babble anymore so phil please take it away
1: Today, we're switching things up a little bit on the podcast. Um, you know how we like to do that from time to time. Um, and today, I'm flying solo. Well, not quite. I obviously have a, uh, a fantastic guest with me who I'll introduce in a second, but uh, there's no Darren here today. Um, don't worry, Darren will be back next episode. He's not gone anywhere. Uh, we're just trying something a little different. Today, my guest is Anna-Marie Watson. Um, Anna-Marie is a world-class ultra runner who regularly uh, podiums and, quite quite frankly, takes to pieces the competition um, at most races uh, that she does. Uh, I think some notable achievements, and, and uh, Anna-Marie, you can correct me on this if I'm uh, wrong later on, seventh lady um, and overall top 100 at the UTMB, which is the Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, which is a... 170k beast with 10,000 meters of climbing and descent um that that's that's a little beyond anything i've done at this stage um and that quite frankly scares me it takes mere mortals about 10 days to hike that and um she did it in what 28 hours um marathon de Sables, which uh Renal find i think described as um what is it? More hellish than hell. Um, she came second in 2015 and fifth in 2018, uh, which is basically six marathons in in six days across the Sahara Desert. For those of you unfamiliar, and uh, to a whole host of other triathlons, adventure races, and and related shenanigans. Um, and Anna is also an outstanding high performance coach with her own um, with her own coaching business called Reach for More. Um, she 's got more certifications, accreditations, and familiar with more systems than most human beings um, and She also served in the British Army for nine years as well um, in places such as as Norway and deserts of Central Asia. Um, so basically, she's she's more hardcore than you as well. So <laughs> you can kind of... I hope you're kind of getting a picture of why I wanted to um, have Anna-Marie on the podcast. She has an absolute wealth of knowledge to share with everyone. And um, also, um, you know, she's a friend of mine who I've known for... How long have we known each other now? It must be quite a long time.
2: It goes back to Sydney days when we were there. It must have been 2011, 2012. Uh, when I was part of the more performance crew, but now I'm just the more performance crew overseas version, and Danny still keeps me on track.
1: Shout out to more performance, by the way. <laughs> um, I think we uh, the the story of, of how we met is actually quite quite funny. So we we officially met and said hello when Cat um, and myself were doing an adventure race, and you were doing an, a, the same race with with Ben. I think it was the Katmandu Twelve, or you might have been doing the Twenty Four. It was, some... it was in
2: the National Park. Was it not in the National Park?
1: I thought it was the Katmandu one because you guys were on a bench next to us and, and you asked to borrow a pen to mark your map up.
2: <laughs> well organised, clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: But that's not the first time we actually were in the same place at the same time. We discovered a photo um, from the Glowworm Trail Marathon from, I think, the year before or even the year before that. And um, we were looking at our photos and we noticed that you and Ben were stood directly behind me in one of them, which, like, before we knew each other, which was a bit creepy.
2: It is a bit spooky. I think it, I don't know if it still pops up on Facebook every so often. And it, it is a kind uh, of yeah. quite a reminder how small the
3: world is.
1: Oh, completely, completely. So. <laughs> I just wanted to kick things off. Obviously you've got a, you've got a pretty kind of storied um, history with, with adventure racing and you've done some pretty, pretty impressive stuff Um, before sort of getting into the more, I guess, standard questions about, you know, your, you, you know, your background and what you like and all the rest of it. I wanted to throw a couple of left field ones. So you, you, you've obviously been through some races where suffering is a bit of a prerequisite. You know, you don't run for 28 plus hours up, um, French mountains without going through some dark patches. Um, what's been the biggest pickup you can remember in your, in your racing history. So a time where you were really suffering, you know, can you remember anything that's like really lifted your spirits or, or got you through those tough times?
2: it generally involves food (laughs) it's amazing how um the thought of something tasty quite soon um shifts your mind state Mm. and and it does come down to a lot about the mind games and that's how you win or lose it's all about that kind of mental resilience and focus and Mm. if you're getting yourself in that downward spiral then it's how do you kind of lift yourself out of it and it's how do you make that switch it's that kind of quick fast decision right and it sometimes it's just a bit of straight talking just the mm. right Watson, stop it you can do this get on with it and just like that it's it doesn't sound like rocket science um though it is it just kind of comes down to that it's your thoughts controlling your thoughts don't let your emotions get in the better of you and then your thoughts influence your behavior and bam you're out of it um Yes, there have been moments when I have been in floods of tears by the side of a track, particularly after I've lost, you know, a big toenail um, oh. in the French Alps, which is, oh, God, it bloody hurts. Um, and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And you've got another, I don't know, six hours of racing to go. What do you do? Do you start, you strap it up? It's not going to make it any better. It's still going to hurt. So sure. you just get on with it and get it over as fast as possible. And often it is. It's that It comes down to, you know, every step is a step closer to the finish line. Yeah. Um, and then you can stop. Um, I'm kind of aware I'm not painting a very great picture of ultra running from the offset here. You <laughs> 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 he kind of threw that question at me. I'm I'm not gonna encourage anybody to get out on the trails now.
1: Oh, I'm 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 sure you will. I think anyone who's remotely contemplating a, a fifty or a hundred or longer has an inkling of what they're letting themselves in for. Um, and and, uh, that brings me touching on the, on the mental side of things. What do you attribute that, that kind of mental, um, or that, that level of mental toughness or that ability to reframe a situation or point your mind in a different direction? Is there something you, you attribute that to? Is that something you've, you've always had the ability to do? Where does that, where does that come from?
2: I don't I don't I've never been able to pinpoint it to one specific event or person. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's not more been a contribution of, you know, how I've grown up and I was very much a tomboy, it was very much a let's go, let's have a go with it, you can do it. It's like, it was that positivity. Mm-hmm. And then in the military, that military mindset, it was very much you just got on with it, you just found a way around it, whatever it was. Um, and yes, you know, there were times in the military when I, you know, I was stuck in Iraq or Afghanistan and life isn't exactly great. Um, (laughs) so what are you going to do? Sid whinge about it? Well, it's not exactly going to get you out of the situation. Just let's get on with it. Um, and, you know, make, make the best of it. So it's ultimately, it's how do I draw all this together? And I very much attribute my, the mental side of things back to my coach training as well. Mm. So, you know, the coaching journey is you become a coach. It's a very, you evolve and you, you know, your style changes. And I've been lucky to work with some amazing other coaches um, and mentors. So that kind of, in a way, tracks my ultra running journey as I've mentally, you know, got to know myself, become more self-aware and, um, and it's the self awareness of a lot of the strategies i was already running though actually once you know about them that you can then refine them and pinpoint them and also there's quite a lot of work around performance and flow which i just find absolutely fascinating diving into the positive psychology side of things and when you kind of start to read about other people's situations and how they perceive their experiences you can draw from that and draw similarities across from your own so it has very much my ultra running journey has been a you know it's been a physical it's been a mental it's been an emotional it's been a social getting to know people and also for me it's that deeper kind of spiritual connection to nature to the wider universe when i'm out you know in the middle of the mountains in the sun setting it's just absolutely stunning and those are my kind of favorite times of the day on my own just completely submersed in that moment mm. um, I am quite antisocial. Um, so, you know, for me running on my own, not having to worry about anything, is it a bit of an away from, is it a bit of an escape probably? Um, do I absolutely love that moment and seek out more? Is it an addiction? Is it an obsession? You know, you could start splitting hairs and how do you label it? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, ultimately I love it. And it's a part of my lifestyle that I've, yeah, <sighs> Kind of, it's 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 got it embraced me. It's got more and more.
1: That that you brought it right back around to the positive there. The Ultra running sounds fantastic now. Um, <laughs> the, uh, like,
2: just just reframed it. That. <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and uh, you know, from my own experience as well, I I, I couldn't agree more. The um, the coach training I've been through. You know, um, when you become a bit more aware of human development, of psychology, things like neurolinguist programming and you're aware of how you're how you're languaging the world back to yourself and and how you the stories you're telling yourself about the current situation you're in that awareness um leads to a greater degree of, of finesse and control of you of your own your own state and yeah that's that's kind of handy when you when you go into some dark places during a race um it's funny we we um it's uh, i it will have been released by the time uh this episode goes out as well darren and i just released a uh an episode on stoicism which i think um ties into uh ties quite heavily into what you're saying there um one question I wanted to ask is do you do any specific training for, uh, the mental side of, of, of racing? Is there a, is there a practice? Is there a, um, you know, is there a, uh, is there a routine that you're in and, and does that differ as well from something like, you know, if you start going from, you know, 50 to hundred to 170 kilometer races, and I kind of asked this mildly selfishly, because as you know, from our conversation before we hit record, on this i'm uh training for um my first 100k race next year and um i'm selfishly using this episode as a uh, as an excuse to to, to pick your brains
2: <laughs> always always happy to chat <laughs> all things ultra running and coaching that's absolutely no problem at all and hopefully someone else will be able to <laughs> pick some words of wisdom wisdom and learn from my experience um so it's a a funny one that the ultra game um the fact that it's ultimately everything anything beyond 50k and actually the mindset of moving from you know a marathon to a 50k to 100k to 100 and you know 70k to now you know 200 miles is the new 100 miles Mm. and then multi-stage as well so ultra in itself is such a diverse beast that there's actually like quite a lot to pick and choose from i remember when i kind of made that step from going from marathon to ultra it's it was completely you know i had i was like i knew i could do it even i just had to walk around i would get around Um, it was a close call my first ultra was the um, ccc version of the utmb it was the second year that it was run and I, somehow, I don't know where, it was in what two thousand and eight, I think it was, two thousand and seven. And there was that certainty. I had absolutely no doubt that I was not going to finish. I was gonna get around. It was gonna kill me. I would crawl, I could walk, I knew I could get there in the time in the time zones. Yeah. And literally I hit every single cutoff going, I just made it underneath the finish line um under the the time cut off. Um so it is it's it's having that kind of right, okay, I can I can I can do this. Um, and having that certainty, I think, and it comes back to attention. Where do you focus your attention?
3: Mm. And
2: it's almost, if you have those doubts, if you pay attention to those doubts, then they start to grow and that's what you're paying attention to. So it's coming back to the controls, what kind of you control. So when I'm preparing for a race and in a way it differs depending if it's like a main a race or it's just a kind of a training race, how I kind of prepare physically and mentally. Um, but what are the controls what can i control and um, what is not even worth worrying about okay and bringing it back to that so i do i very much if it's no race i i go out and wreck the roots i get a lot of um for me i'm very visual so being able to go out and visually literally run through it know where the checkpoints are where the routes are coming in and out of just spending time out in the environment Mm. i just find really kind of gives me it calms me it's great training um and actually now if it's an a race i will i will definitely try and leave time in my schedule to have a block out on on the terrain um And then, you know, I'll often in my, um, if it's a big race in my study, I'll have the profile of the route and the map of the route up on the wall. So just, it's just there, kind of just, I'm just, you know, catching a glance of it. And I know, know it. So, you know, the UTMB for me was, it's like the biggest race I've done. And with my connection to Chamonix, which is where I consider home, it was, it was just a phenomenal experience and i was just so pleased to be on the start line but i knew every you know kilometer of that route mm-hmm. i could recite the eight stations off by heart to you and um, i knew kind of what paces i want needed to be going what times i need to be hitting them um so for me there's a comfort as well almost in the data so i'm checking in and the whole quantification of self i very much you know i know what heart rate i should be going at i know what vertical um ascent descent i should roughly be in sure Uh, if my zone is getting too high heart rate wise i know i can't sustain it for 28 and a half hours slow down yeah um so there's, there's that side of things that um really helps in the lead up and also support from others. Um, mm. You know, Ben's my biggest supporter um, and just knowing that he is there and um, supporting you know, the build-up to it, but then at the aid stations as well, that gives me a real mental boost, you know, we're kind of coming back to those who were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Um, just knowing here that, right, okay, I've got an aid station in, what, you know, 5K, I'm going to hit that in whatever time. Okay, Ben's going to be there. I've got an avocado in my drop bag. Brilliant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, coming back to the theme of food as well, and uh, it, it's the, the food part of things. So it comes back to I. What can I control? Okay, well, I can mm-hmm. you know, control what is my nutrition? What have I got lined up? Uh, so it's, it's almost, it comes back to you're removing the decisions during the event as well. So you don't have to think about them. You're not having to expend energy. So all you can do is focus on the, right, okay, I'm running, getting in and out of aid stations as fast as possible because that's where a lot of people um, lose time. And you kind of see, as soon as you sat down, you're like, you're not going to get out, there. Um, out of there soon and and that's where you know you can you can slip so many places
1: i am um, speaking of food out on course that reminds me of a that reminds me of a story when uh, it was one of the royal national park i think the Kathmandu adventure race oh, uh, series yeah.
3: And, oh, my picnic.
1: And the picnic. So Kat and I were doing this race and um, you, you get to, um, you know, you get to have these big plastic uh, drop boxes at the aid station. And you, you put, you know, maybe your bike shoes in there and some snacks and food and stuff like that. And, and Kat and I were walking past and saw one that... Look to have a full and substantial picnic with hummus and crackers and, and some, <laughs> some carrot sticks and stuff like that. And we were having a having a bit of a chuckle, like, "Oh, whose is that?" And then, um, yeah, very shortly afterwards, we found <laughs> we found out it was yours and Ben's. Um, You're right. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, look, hey, I'm not criticising. It's um, it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly working for you. Going back to going back to one of the themes you touched on quite a lot there, which was um which was control during preparation. Uh, And it, it sounded like that ticking the boxes on as many variables as you have the power to influence is something that's quite important to you for, um, for your, your preparation for, for races in terms of, mistakes that you see other people kind of commonly making and you wish you could kind of jump into their brain and shake them and help them and, or, or you know, if you are in a position to give them, uh, you know, first timers especially at the longer distances. Um, what does that look like? What do you, what do you most see people doing that, you know, it would make a make a huge difference if they did it another way.
2: So <clears throat> I think for me, the top two, the first would be over-training. And a lot of people go out and just do like junk mileage and actually turn up at the race fatigued. Mm -hmm. Um, I listened to the Matt Dixon podcast and I love his phrase, turn up to a race fit and fresh. And it is, it's hitting that sweet spot so that she can go out. And it comes back to the whole over analogy of actually being over rested rather than over trained. Yeah. is more worthwhile so it's 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 kind of making sure that you're not doing that last minute panic training because ultimately for an ultra the training happens months out it's 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 endurance it builds and actually looking back at my ultra career it builds year on year on year on year Mm. as well so it's i mean it depends how you want to tackle it if it's just like a tick the box done boom you can go and hurt yourself through it but if it's more of a long game that you want to play that's where you get get the wins
1: um what do you put that over training i've got my own theories on this because i see it with ironman athletes i coach all the time as well what do you put that over that impetus to over train or do more than the program says what do you put that down to
2: um, I, th- I think for a variety of factors, kind of sometimes it's like, well, I have to I have to be training. And it's sometimes not an understanding of actually how important rest and recovery is. Yeah. Um, I know that for me working with Danny, it's an accountability thing. If he tells me to rest, I will rest. If I don't have that in my schedule, I will try and shoehorn something in there because I enjoy <laughs> it. Um we would so I'm like, no, Danny tells I have to rest. I need to spend as little time on my feet as possible. I need to eat well. I need to hydrate. It's like, yeah, boom, yeah. done um so I think I think there is that and I you know we're, we're human beings we love doing things it's mm-hmm. keeping ourselves busy and it's like oh when I'm doing an Ironman and I have to train and so-and-so is doing all of this and their load is that and they're training at that intensity and oh I need to do that and it's like actually we're all individual we all recover differently as well um how does it work you know I'm very aware that the ultra running is healthier at all you're putting a lot of stress on your body so how do i ensure that it responds and it's kind of coming back to those basics which is the rest it's the sleep um, it's the hydration, it's the removing as much stress for my body as possible not crumbing my diary full of stuff which inevitably <laughs> I get the balance wrong so many times and then yeah. get proper fatigued and grumpy and have to pick up the pieces and start all over again but yeah hey, overtraining.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you um, I think there's a little bit of you You, you definitely touched on there, there I think the fear and the FOMO um, gets hold of people sometimes you know it's like oh they're going out and doing more therefore I have to and just sometimes the nervousness. And I, I had it, you know, my, I remember my first my first Ironman. I, I did more training than I should because, quite frankly, the event's scary if you've never done it before. Hell, a 5K scary if you've never done it before. So <laughs> there yeah. you go.
3: And I, I,
2: I do I, – it's, it's almost when you move along that spectrum now because of, you know, when you're going to do a 170K race, it's actually a 50K, and it sounds ridiculous, and I get it. A 50K mm. is actually – well, I can just, in a way, because I've got that base fitness now, actually, I can just go and do a 50K for a training run. Sure. Um, I can race one, depending on where I am in the calendar, pretty easily. Yeah. And if you told me that 15 years ago, I would, what? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah.
2: So it's, it's where, you're, where are you? What's your perception? How? What is your world? Um, yeah. Cool. So, so, yeah, so then... Um so that's the overtraining was the first one. And the second one, it, it kind of comes down to equipment and mm. knowing and knowing your kit. And, and almost kind of a knowing your body you can um expand that out to. So it's you know, it's testing the kit, what works for you, testing your nutrition, what works for you. Yeah. Um and then don't do anything stupid last minute tweaks. And <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I yeah going back to the fomo thing the amount of times um i've stayed um in you know a, a shared uh, shared accommodation with a bunch of athletes before a 70.3 or an ironman and everybody's got bags of potions and powders and and recovery things and hydration supplements on the counter and everyone's frantically trying everybody else's stuff because they're fast and they've got some secret sauce um it uh, yeah it's it's uh, the nothing nothing new on race day or leading up to it is a is a is a hard and fast rule for a for a reason um
2: but it's but it's difficult to and, it, and again, it's, it's coming back to basics. It's common sense. When you talk mm. about it, you're like, well, yeah, that's really obvious. Though actually at that time, in that moment, it can be really difficult to have the confidence and courage to go, actually, I know what works for me. This works yeah. for me. And sticking to your guns because we're, you know, we're social creatures. We want to please. We can be swayed. Yeah. Um, and actually how to go, actually, no, not now, in the future.
1: Okay how's your nutrition evolved over over time uh, and, and kind of what does it what does it look like now you've you've got to i mean from my vantage point your your performance has just ramped up seemingly year after year after year you've just been kicking bigger and bigger goals and getting Getting faster and faster at longer distances, Um, nutrition must play a part there. I'm I'm assuming. So, what's the what's your journey there, and and what does it look like now?
2: Yeah, so my journey has totally changed since Australia. Mm. Um, So I would almost describe myself in Australia. I was just like you know classic. Ate a lot of refined carbs, cereal Mm -hmm. for breakfast, um, maybe a bit of toast, sandwich for lunch, um, pasta, rice, potato um, for dinner, which, you know, is that was, you know, what is, what was um, considered healthy. And Mm -hmm. I'd always had... I'd always find my blood sugar kind of went up and down really badly, like really bad spikes, but you know, didn't know what it was attributed to. Um, and then I met, um, an amazing coach, Kim, Kim Ingleby, who, yeah, your listeners should check out. She's done a podcast. Um, okay. she basically- She's a triathlete as well, and um, they're not podcast. So TED Talk. So she basically did a triathlon and got Viles disease really badly, and it's it basically
1: completely Vial's changed.
2: Viles disease. Okay. Um, you know the rats. Rats pee in water. Um.
1: I'll take your word for it. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Viles disease. Um. So basically, it's trained. It's changed her, her brain. Um. And the the TED Talk is around you know getting to know herself again, and how she um copes because she now struggles a lot with bright lights loud noises mm. um so she does amazing work for charity she's nlp trained as well and um, does a lot of work with athletes in the uk in the uk mm. um so i met her on a, a course that on a on a coach training course that we were both doing M-braining, and kind of talk, got talking to her and she also does dna fit which i think is a,
1: oh a, a yeah I've, I've used um, their service yeah
2: Mm. so I was, you know, kind of interested in kind of getting to know a bit about my body, you know, starting to think a little bit about nutrition. I'd started listening to a podcast for the food, which um, had started to shift things as well. And some of their recipes, one of ones was the egg banana scramble, which we talked about earlier. That was one of theirs that I've jumped on board.
1: Just share that with the audience. It sounds, it, it piqued my curiosity, but then just hearing you describe it, I'm pretty much going to go make it. Maybe not tomorrow because I I have a race and nothing new on race day, but I will definitely make it.
2: (laughs) Do it, do it. So, yeah, you get your pan, a little bit of um, coconut um, butter, um, get a banana, slice it up, caramelize it off both sides so it kind of goes like a little bit squidgy. And then a couple of eggs, um, a bit of milk or cream, depending on which way you go. The cream makes it, like, super indulgent. It's beautiful. Um, Scramble it all up. Um, The level of scrambledness depends on your taste buds. Personally, I prefer a little bit loose and runny rather than the brububhiness. Pop it in a bowl, bit of cinnamon on the top, nice Greek yogurt, full fat, um, blueberries, strawberries, blackberries, you know, whatever tastes your fancy, and a good handful of nuts or seeds, and boom, there you go.
1: Is that a pre-training breakfast or uh, just a everyday, everyday, you know, um, nutrition? What's the, what's the use there?
2: So that tends to be like most days. Um, if I'm racing, probably not. Cause you need to kind of get up and do it. It's so my pre race one. And I'm this, I don't know this, this, it does sound a bit strange. This is I'm a massive advocate of just like, you know, a tin of, um, mackerel or sardines in olive mm. oil or like tomato because it's just so easy you can carry it yeah. and I know that on Day, actually a tin of that an avocado a tomato and some oat cakes boom easy you yeah. know you don't have to cook anything you can just kind of get up you know I might be staying in like a and b or something and you know some of them are really kind They're like oh we'll get up and we'll sort you something out before you go I'm just like yeah I don't no. really want to do a taste of cereal thank you very much you know very yeah. kind um you know just kettle in the room cup of tea brilliant um so yeah that's it's
1: generally, breakfast. I'm I'm noticing uh, from the uh, from the scramble and your your sort of post race breakfast. Um, it, it's sounding quite um well, whole foods, slightly on the higher fat, lower carb side of things. Would that be fair?
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did the DNA fit and it kind of blended it as well. Um, and he's got like a Mediterranean background. So it was very mm. interesting kind of seeing the difference of what we are, you know, more sensitive to or yep. not. And, you know, for me, very sensitive to refined carbs. So in a way that, you know, it explains the whole kind of glucose highs and lows and my blood sugar was just all over the place. Sure. And proper energy dips. So actually now, I mean my rule is more okay at each meal I have protein, fat, and carbs. Yeah. And the carbs. They want to be proper vegetables. They want to be green, leafy. Um, which you know we've been growing spinach this year, which is still going, and it's mid-November, which for UK oh, is beautiful. pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's just these yeah, proper 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 food. So I do kind of struggle going out when you kind of go out and you look at a menu and it's kind of like pizza or burgers or chips and sure. Da, 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 da. So you can generally find right a bit of meat and okay, can you switch that side up and I'll have a bit more greenery happy days. It's, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science. And I think yeah. a lot of nutrition has been over complicated and people kind of don't almost know what to eat. Yep. Um, and I am really conscious that Depending on my training load and what I'm building up to, I, I am using a lot of calories. Um, so it is making sure that I'm eating enough. And there are times, sometimes I, d- I don't like calorie counting. So sure. at some points, I will just for a week go, okay, I'm going to go onto I think some app and pop in just, just to just to get a gauge. I mean, they're not that accurate anyway. You know, yeah. people take twenty percent. Um, though I just sometimes just want to make sure I'm getting enough. And yeah, as you say, it then gives you what your macros are. And yeah, I am pretty, pretty high fat.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's super important. I think that's a great takeaway for, for people. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. I'm not a, I'm not a calorie counter that doesn't appeal to me as a lifestyle. And, um, I think the, the, the few people I know who chronically calorie count, um, aren't the sort of people who it seems to be working for, um, in all in all love and kindness. Um, but getting that snapshot every now and then just to see where you are and, and awareness of what you're um awareness of what you're eating, just getting somebody to do even a simple food log, um, you know, getting them to, you know, some of the folk I coach, just getting them to take a picture of everything they eat um and then looking back at it together at the uh you know at the end of a week can be really eye opening for people because i think there's a lot of unconscious um consumption out there people aren't intentional about what they're eating they're just kind of doing what they do and not really thinking about it and um your, your other point about doing something like DNA fit or getting results from 23 Me and putting it through one of the, the kind of more health-focused services, I, I've got a similar experience but slightly opposite. I, I don't um, metabolize saturated fat particularly well, which I found out from from my genetic testing. So I can still do a, you know, a sort of lower... Uh, lower carb, higher fat approach, but I just need to be super, super careful to get that from avocados and olive oil and nuts and, you know, um, yeah. not, not cause I've, I've tried to do the high fat thing before and gone heavy on the coconut oil and the, and the butter and didn't, didn't work out, um, didn't work out particularly well for me. I just didn't, you know, didn't lose any weight, which, you know, seemed to be everybody else's experience. So yeah, there you go. it's
2: it's, it's an interesting one i mean i mean for me avocado is the go-to and even doing a race if it's a long race i'll have an avocado in my drop bag and i remember doing cappadocia in turkey which is an amazing race absolutely beautiful and it was at 60k there was like you had to drop bag, and i was looking forward to getting to the avocado and i was one of the (laughs) the first runners through and bless them they were like do you need anything i was like i've got my avocado and they're like wait and literally like two seconds later, this chopping board appeared with a knife, with a spoon. And no I literally, way. I not normally sit down, but for like two seconds, I sat down, got my avocado, chopped it up, got a spoon, <laughs> kind of had half of it, scooped the other half out and ran out with me. I was like, that is service. <laughs> you don't always get that at it? an ultra
1: race. I'm curious, how did you plan to eat it? How do you eat them on the run?
2: Um, but if Ben's supporting me, he'll kind of have it half ready for me to go. Right. Um, if it's me, I'll just kind of, um, that one I was just kind of a wing it take it with me, peel it, see how it goes uh- <laughs> <laughs>
1: I can't imagine that being very clean like I, oh, I'm, no.
2: well, oh come on you're covered like yeah. the of have I've wipe my nose <laughs> and like it on my trousers or falling over or kind of got some like bar that's open you know you open a bar or yeah I tend to make up my like, little packs of like dried um dates and nuts and it depends on the temperature you know if it's cold I'll have cheese and um dried meat sure uh, so it kind of it kind of depends but yeah and you kind of you I think some of the races are quite scrabbly. You'll have fallen over. So yeah, yeah it's not, it's by the not time great. I finish, I'm like a bit of a, yeah, mess. <laughs> <laughs> throw me in the shower. Kind of thing.
1: Uh, um, one more question, one more question on racing and, and training before we sort of move on to, move on to some other stuff, because you are a bit of a polymath and I don't just want to, I don't just want to stay on the, uh, don't just want to stay on the ultra stuff for, for the whole, whole time we're talking. Um, the, uh, one of the things that's always impressed me uh, about your abilities to to train and race is you're you're basically you're basically the the equivalent of of Wolverine in the ultra community as far as I can see, and I mean that from your your healing factor. I remember hearing once you did a you did a set it was either a seventy point three or an Ironman somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, you won it and then went on to do an ultra a week later, like a hundred k. Am I remembering this right? From your face, I might be making things up.
2: I did go and do the old, I did go and do the the full Iron Man in Eastern Europe, called Big Man in Prague, which was hilarious. Yeah, you a snuck, you, you snuck
1: you <laughs> snuck into that one. What's the... Yeah, didn't, didn't, shh, didn't tell anyone about that one. Mm. And the
2: only reason that Ben found out was because someone saw on Strava. And <laughs> 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 was like, I didn't realise Anna Marie was doing a full distance. He was like, No, no, she's only doing a half distance. And like, Have you seen Strava? <laughs> That's
1: hilarious. Yeah,
2: no, that the training into that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So seeing here, I, my training now is is far more structured and far yeah. more consistent, and I don't just kind of rock up and do a full lion man Though I, I probably yeah, now on the bike suffer on yeah. the bike. Whereas then it was, yeah, I just kind of wanted to try it and see what happens. So yeah, I snuck off to Eastern Europe, Prague. I mean, cool, why not go to Prague? It was like an excuse I, for a little mini break. And that's a lot of my races that are kind of an excuse to travel as well.
1: Oh, completely, completely. But uh, what I was trying to get to there was, what, what, what do you see is, uh, you've, uh, there's obviously some genetics going on there that, that kind of that help out, but is there anything that's really the difference that makes the difference when it, when it comes to recovery for you? What do you, what do you put that down to? Cause your ability to, to back you, to back up racing after, you know, after racing is, yeah, it's super impressive.
3: Yeah.
2: I kind of, I still get it wrong. Like after UCMB, I then went and raced three weeks later mm. at the half marathon, the Saab in Fort oh, and Fort yeah. And in between, I literally did two 5k runs and I rocked up at Fort Ventura And by day three, like the last half marathon, I was, I was, I was done. Yeah. Um, and like you know, I was leading it. I just um, was like, okay, I just need to finish. Sure. Um, with the times going on, so actually, with hindsight, hindsight's an amazing thing. Um, going and doing that then delayed my recovery from UTMB, and I had deep fatigue. Um, which then at the beginning of this year, going into doing Trans Gran Canaria, um, which is 125 k, 7,000 meters down Gran Canaria, and that was end of February and I'd done a big training block out there in the early February to get ready for it. And then six weeks later, I went and did marathon to start. by the end of marathon to start, I was done like yeah. properly done physically, emotionally spent, fatigued, overraced just too much. And that in a way with the ultra scene, it's getting longer. You know, the, the ultra trail world tour series finishes at the beginning of December, it kickstarts again at the beginning of January it's like it's not
1: much of a break.
2: You, no, it's not. And that's how do you choose which races to race? You know, I kind of going, well, oh, no one could physically do them all, um, or race that time. I mean, there probably are some people who could, though. Not, not many. And actually mm. there's been, I don't know, just looking amongst some athletes has been, you know, the DNFs or people not racing how, as well as they want to. Um, so you have to be quite strategic and even now looking forward to like next year, what are my key races? What do I want to focus on? What is the time in between? And I've not, I've not had the balance right in the past, and
3: mm.
2: yeah, I, I shouldn't have raced so much in that block because what it was a seven-month block: UTMB, marathon de Saab, half marathon de Saab, trans Transgran Canaria. Those are four of the toughest races on the race calendar Absolutely. within a seven-month period. Which is looking back now, I was like, that 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 probably wasn't sensible, and that for this season was why I then switched back to half Ironman. And right. over the summer, Ben qualified at Weymouth to go to South Africa. And again, a bit of an excuse to go to South Africa. Sure. Um, so, and, and again, it's all that perspective. Actually, training for a half-iron man is easier and gentler than going and racing for like 28 and a half hours. So you know, someone said to me, but yeah, I'll going complete. to doing a half-iron man isn't a break. And I was like, it takes me about five hours. Um, going and racing, You know, even a 50K is probably about six. 100K, depending on the train, you're looking, what? A sixteen to twenty-four, depending on the terrain, yeah. and then you know, hundred miler, twenty-four. of thing. so. It's a di- it's a different perspective. It's a different park. But you do you need to be like recovery. If this is like one thing that your listeners take away from today, is like recovery is king. Yeah. Like rest, yeah. recharge, relaxation is so 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 important. And I I'm saying that to kind of reconvince myself <laughs> that it's
3: so important as well.
1: And I think something you said there is is uh, is also really important for people to realise because I think it's easy for folk to look at someone like yourself who's who's killing it, and you look at your CV and 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 the amount of podiums you've you've got and the the, the things you've achieved, and people can you know. Uh, they'd be forgiven for assuming that you, you'd always had it nailed and you've, you, you know, you've got this thing sorted out, but you know, the reality is it's years of trial and error and doing too much and too little and having bad races. And, and it, it takes that to, to learn where you need to be, I think.
0: And,
2: and, and that's, you know, social media is a great way of sharing, mm. um, you know, knowledge, experience and the races though. It's difficult to kind of get that. Okay. So what is reality on social media? It, and I'm kind of conscious, Oh, Anna-Marie's traveling again and she's doing this. It's like, well, you know, actually the day-to-day job, I'm not really going to put a picture of me doing my, you know, doing the business admin kind of thing or, yeah, you know, with yeah. the client because it's, you know, it's very confidential. Um, and actually it's, it's the running that people are kind of, you know, are more kind of interested in. It's more visual. Um, so that is generally what I kind of tend to share. But sure. ultimately behind the scenes, like there is so much hard work that goes on. And, you know, every other athlete I know is it's, it's, it's the same. So yep. it's not just that kind of glossy coated Instagram. Woohoo, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Actually, the reality is very different. And, you know, a picture of me exhausted on the sofa on a Friday night with my feet up watching, and no Killing Eve is the latest um, BBC drama. Okay, <laughs> It's really that, you
3: know.
1: <laughs> and and that that leads uh, i guess neatly onto um you know you you're not you're not just a a full-time athlete you know you you've um you've got a successful coaching business reach for more and i i'm curious um to kind of dig into your coaching style and as i mentioned at the top of the episode and from speaking to you before i know you've been through um, a pretty significant amount of coach training from lots of different schools. Um, and I'm curious out of all of them, you know, what have you taken away? How have you pieced them together and how would you kind of define your, uh, I guess your style and your, your approach to, to coaching?
2: Wow. There's a lot in that. <laughs> yeah, that
1: was, that was a lot to unpack. Sorry about that. But, uh, uh
2: okay so i am a self-certified learning junkie um mm. at this moment in time wasn't always the way when i went to university i was done with education really not interested just wanted to get to the army and do stuff um and i think that's an important lesson for everybody we all have phases in our life when actually we're really receptive and open to learning and engaged mm. and other times it's like actually it's just not the right time at the moment so i've you know want to apply what I know I just want to get stuck in I want to do so sometimes you know forcing learning on people um and don't get me started about the state of education I am actually you know a qualified teacher and the education system and how that sets us up for life I think we're doing a disservice to a lot of our kind of young people Mm. and how they then kind of come out of it at the end of the system and what choices do they make and I think ultimately now as a coach I work with a lot of people who have made choices previously that they've doesn't quite work for them and they've got to where they are now. And it's more going through that period of transition. How do they facilitate that? And that's where I can, um, one side of where I do do support. Mm. Um, so taking it back to, you know, my coach training, yeah, you know, I came out the end of, came out of the army and moved into kind of the leadership world. Mm-hmm. So, the coaching world was completely unknown to me. If you'd suggested, Oh, you know, maybe work with a coach they can support you through your transition, leaving the army. Uh, I'd be like, no, it'd be stupid. I don't need a coach. I can do this all by myself.
1: Um, that's a really common thing. We'll, we'll, we can get back to that afterwards. I don't mean to interrupt, but the, I, I find that attitude surprising. You look at, you look at every high performer, like true high performers in the world. Um, they all have coaches, you know, people at the top of their game in business and sport have coaches and, and, I think the, um, the attitude or the, the kind of, uh, the assumption from, from some folk that coaching is somehow a remedial activity for people who, you know, who need help as opposed to people who just want to get out there and, and, and be the best, they, you know, the best version of themselves, I think is a really important distinction to, to call out, um, I said, I didn't mean to interrupt. And then I totally just did. <laughs> so apologies for that. But, 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 that, but that's, but that's a real, that's a real, that's something that sits at the top of, uh, uh, you know, sits top of mind for, for me personally. And I'm, I'm sure obviously you must, must play into you as well, but, but please carry on.
2: Mm, no, and I, I, you know, within my client base, I've worked with several individuals who have arrived from that remedial perspective and it's often Mm -hmm. then being facilitated by someone else you know they've been identified as having a problem a weakness they're not quite fitting within the team oh the coach is brought in to fix them and ultimately that totally contravenes you know all the whole NLP um principles for a start though how Mm -hmm. that affects the dynamic and the relationship between the client and the coach and the power base and I very much with coaching I don't tell anyone to do anything no. um if if I don't know if appropriate I can potentially share something and I will very much reframe that as to you know, and, and through the onboarding process as a coach we very much go into okay so what is coaching what is counseling and sure. um, what is mentoring? what are the differences um where where do you fit within that and, you know, I have so many clients, just tell me what to do. It's
3: like, right, okay, let's just <laughs> backtrack the
2: conversation that we had at the beginning of the coaching conversation. What, how does a coach, you know, coaching work? Yeah, of um, course. So, yeah, I still do get a lot of the remedial side coming through, and it's how you kind of work around and set that conversation up. Yeah. Um, though there does seem to be a, a growing awareness of actually for high-performance – how can you work with someone to improve? And I, you know, I, I'm very lucky. I've worked with some amazing coaches and it's one of those, you know, when, when you need the coach and the coach appears and it's almost that I person know. has appeared in my life to, you know, work through some area when needed. Yeah. Um, and you know, now I work, I have, I've got a supervisor. I work with a supervisor, you know, check in, on a, on a regular ish two monthly basis. I don't really work with a coach all the time. Um, I will probably once a year, depending on what I've got going on, um, work with a different coach. Um, I think everyone could benefit from it, but then it comes back to you, you have a coach all the time. Again, how healthy is that relationship? What kind of dependency is potentially being formed there? Um, and that's why I get a bit nervous about sometimes more. Um, within America, people much, very much have their coach, they have their counselor, and it's they see, you know, they check in, you know, once a month, once a week. Okay, so how is that supporting the development of your awareness of your skills for you to be the best that you can be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a tricky one. Um,
1: the- it, it, it really is the, um, you know, I, I'm more of the philosophy, somebody comes in with a, uh, you know, with a set of goals and, and that's what, that's what we facilitate the conversation towards helping them, you know, helping them move towards helping them evolve. And then, uh, you know, sometimes things uncover themselves in the, in the process of coaching that then the client wants to work on as a subsequent thing, but they need to have some awareness of it and some desire. And if they don't, then, um, you know, it, uh, it, I, I agree. I don't think it's healthy that somebody just holds on to it like a like a therapist uh, or you know just a or a status symbol. So yeah, agree.
2: Comfort. It's like a comfort blanket, and that yeah, yeah. It, it, it's one of it's one of those questions. You know, everyone has their own business model of how they set up and packages and all of that. And I very much am very you know organic, which in a way is an opportunity and a challenge. Sure. It's an opportunity because I'm working with a client, I'm supporting them, I'm pulling together all these models to work with that individual. Then, okay, it can be seen as a challenge. Okay, so what's the framework that you use? How many sessions do you need? So I was like, well, well, we'll see as we go. It's that flexible, ongoing basis. I have some individuals that I literally may work with for three sessions yeah. and then actually they've got to where they want to be at this moment in time. Brilliant. Okay, I'm not just going to sit here and regurgitate the same stuff for the next three sessions because you've got a sort of six session pack. Um, you know, other clients, it's more fluid and, you know, I'll see them at the beginning, maybe more you know, once a week or once every two weeks, and then it slips to a month and then it slips to just a bit of a check-in and then, okay, yeah. done and dusted. And, you know, for me, it's that it's that fluidity, it's that dynamic, it's that ongoing conversation. And all I ask from my clients is to be as open and not honest, you know, how is it going? How can I support you? Sure. Um, I can't tell anybody. And, yes, I draw a lot from all the different disciplines that I've trained in. And you know, I have to stop myself from going on courses. I like literally put myself (laughs) like, this is what we're doing this year, focus on it, stop. So you know for me this actually did do, I kind of cheated. So I did (laughs) Um, so I did my coach supervision course at Oxford Brooks because I was finding I was getting like a lot of coaches coming to me or individuals who were interested in becoming coaches or managers who wanted a bit more be a bit more coach like. And actually, you know, supervision itself was in the coaching world as a bit of a ooh supervision. (sighs) um there's a bit of controversy around that subject particularly in the international coach federation and what's the difference with mentoring but we're not going to go down <laughs> I've, 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 I've
1: i've i've had um, you know with um you know with the coaching room here in sydney i've i've had coach mentoring and super the the you know the program is called mentoring and supervision and you know i have a i have a mentor slash supervisor as a as a coach and I check in with them and, you know, they, it's been, it's been fantastic for my, you know, for my, my development as a, as a coach. I, I wanted to touch on something, something you, you mentioned there. And I think it goes back to the, it goes back to nutrition. It, it's a common thread I see through nutrition, through training, through, um, through coaching coaching and it's the it's the desire for the it's the desire for certainty and the desire for the 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 packaged well formed easy answer to uh, to the to the question or the challenge that somebody has and you see this in all kinds of behavior you see this in um, People gravitating towards quite strict diet plans, you know, off the shelf, off the shelf books, off the shelf uh, programs, the the super, you know, twelve weeks to shredded course kind of thing, rather than puzzling things out themselves. Because quite frankly, puzzling things out yourself is hard work, and picking up the, you know, and just deciding that your low low carb, paleo ketogenic for life is easier. Uh, any any thoughts on, on on that? That that that's a, just a common theme I see as a I guess is a, a challenge for coaching both the mind and the body with um with certain athletes. Hmm.
2: And I think yes, you can have some kind of fundamental basics that you can kind of hand as is like a bedrock. So everybody is different and everyone is different over time. Mm. So just because what works for you today doesn't work for you tomorrow, you know, I'm not the I'm not the coach that I was when I started out, you know, in 2011. I'm not the coach now that I'm going to be in 10 years time. And it's that change and embracing the change and actually the amount of research and knowledge that globally collectively is happening. Okay. How do you make sense of that? How do you pair it Mm. back? Because it can be quite overwhelming. It's almost that there is so much knowledge out there. How do you cut through all the crap and then how do you kind of apply it to yourself?
1: That's fair. That's fair.
2: Kind of make the change. So yes, there's an awareness side of things, an awareness of, okay, so w- what is your world? How are you shaping your world? What are your decisions driving? What are you open to? And I'm, you know, very aware even now within the scripts that I'm playing, yeah. they will shift and change and my awareness will, you know, hopefully, <laughs> well, it will It'll evolve even further. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I set off on my coaching journey eight years ago, some years ago, there is no way that I would have said, okay, so what I want to do is, you know, specialize in taking clients outdoors for walking and talking sessions, I, which I, I love was doing.
1: I was just about <laughs> to ask about uh, the networking. So, you know, here, here, here on the podcast, you know, one of the, one of the, big themes we we play through everything is um healthy sustainable um active lives you know if we we do all this stuff uh, for health and uh, health and health first and fitness second and um the networking initiative and uh, i'm not sure if initiative is the right word apologies but the the networking uh, that you started i I've, i just think it's a fantastic idea if you could share that with the audience that's um yeah i think it's really exciting
2: yeah, so I'm just I'm just gonna split it into two. So I've got my like walking and talking coaching, which is like one-on-one with clients, and okay. then have got the networking.
3: Okay. Um, cool.
2: So I'll dip into the the networking, how that emerged. Um, and it is a thing, you know, you can Google it it kind of comes up and there are initiatives to, like around the world yeah. about it. Um I wasn't aware of them, I swear I wasn't aware of them, might have been aware <laughs> of them at a cost level, no idea. But hey, for me it's put,
1: When you brought it up, it was the first time I'd heard of it. So there you go. <sighs>
2: That's, it's like uh, copyrighted. Who who actually came up with the concept? No idea. I thought I did, but clearly not. You definitely um, did. You,
1: everyone, you heard it here on the Master of some
2: <laughs> Copyright
1: Anna Marie. Yeah. Anyway,
2: <laughs> so yeah, when I moved back from Saudi Arabia to the Southwest, not that it was really moving back to the Southwest because I'm actually from the Northeast. So it was a completely new region. And I did a lot of networking. I was rebranding my business, setting it up, getting out yeah. there, doing you know, the networking. How are you supposed to do it? Let's go to business breakfast and eat fried breakfast and make small talk. Let's go and have
3: a oh, kill me glass now.
2: of white wine after work. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, it was just horrific. I was just about to lose the plot. Yeah. Um. And I met a really lovely lady who, um, Lebanese lady called Wafa. And clearly, having just been to the Middle East, I I do like the Middle East. There's something about the Arabic culture which is just so welcoming. The food <sighs> comes back to as well, super fresh really tasty and mm-hmm. i was about to go to lebanese weddings i was chatting away to her and she's just oh should we um should we meet up and um, so she invited me to lunch and we went for a walk afterwards and we just kind of started talking about you know she loves networking me not quite so much um i, I love we both love walking well actually why don't we pull them all together yeah um, so i was really keen to make it more than a just rock up and you know go for a nice walk How can we make this into more into a business sense? So, this is why for each network, we have a business theme. um, And then, clearly, as a coach, we love questions. We have a series of questions which unpack the theme. And this is a kind of structure that, you know, if you turn up and you don't know anybody, rather than going, so where do you live mm. how many children do you have actually you're having relevant conversations to your business so yesterday we had one in bath um,
3: yeah.
2: and our theme was the business of sleep and it was all around okay so how does um sleep influence your business how does your business influence sleep and it was unpacking unpacking that and then you know always very much finishes on a how you know what can you improve how can you improve it, what you can sure. do moving forward so that kind of question brings it very much back to the you know the future designing actions
3: yeah yeah um,
2: big points um and we've had loads of different, you know, around social media, around business development, around um, nutrition for business, sure. um, goal setting. So there's, you know, different different themes. So that's the networking. Yeah. Uh, and then the walking and talking with clients um, as a, you know, as a coaching niche. It's. Again, hindsight, fabulous thing. Makes sense. For me, I grew up outdoors. There's a picture of me, aged three months old, on a glacier in a plastic bag um, (laughs) in Norway, which I'm sure some people would call child abuse, but you know, I spent every school holiday outside, yeah. playing famous Five Secret Seven, Nina blighton kind of exploring this. Um, I hated being in school, I used to sit looking out the window at the trees, kind of going counting the minutes down until the bell, the bell would ring and I could go outside and play. Yeah. So, I joined the army because I didn't want to be in an office. So, then when I left and had to do all my coach training, and it was in these conference rooms, and you'd be sat still, and I'm very much, you know, I'm sat on my ball now, moving around, sure. Um, it's all about that kinesthetic movement it helps me learn it's about being in nature that helps me learn as well so it's kind of knowing yourself knowing your learning styles which at the time I didn't know about and actually with clients it's okay so where do you feel relaxed oh well actually you know I love being outside I love going for a walk and a lot of my clients now see what I do and it's like well it makes sense I'm indoors attached to a computer for eight, 10 hours a day, actually going out for a coaching conversation over lunch, breaks the day up, get a bit of movement. You change state automatically. You see different perspectives. You're drawing inspiration from what's around you. Your brain is working differently. So actually the conversation you have is at a different level. And then you go back to work and actually you're more creative, more innovative because you're refreshed. Yeah. Um, So, Yeah, it just kind of came together, but I never at one point, and this is why I always feel a little bit nervous. Saying as a coach, like, well, I never had that goal to set out to become the
1: walking coach. Yeah, of course. Yeah,
3: (laughs) emerged.
1: It's funny, there was um I, I can't remember the name of the book. I'll I'll dig it up and I'll put it in the show notes. But there was um there was a book and uh, and all it did was describe the 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 kind of uh daily habits and routines of a bunch of successful people. It's not a not a Tim Ferriss book, it's something else. And you know, live it living and dead and ancient and all the rest of it. And one of the um there were two things that stood out. One of them was people were typically either complete sober or just ragingly alcoholic and drug abusers. And the other, the other thing that came through was, um, was walking just as a, as a huge common thread with nearly everybody in the book. They all took, uh, walks as part of their, um, their daily routines and kind of credited it for a lot of their, their creativity and their breakthroughs and their inspiration. So, um, there's, uh, there's definitely, there's definitely something to it
2: and this can be second message so recovery recovery within sport is my top message and my second one is just walk a bit more and within work now if i have meetings i will you know offer the suggestion so should we head outside for a a walking meeting you know i was up in london and had a beautiful walk around regent's Park because the sun was setting um on, on wednesday night which actually speaking to um the kind of the colleague she was very much oh no i've been looking forward to this all day it's been great to get out
3: Mm. like
2: yeah exactly okay so now what you need to do is when you have another meeting in the future suggest i mean it's not appropriate for every single meeting and i get that so there's definitely opportunity for people to be a bit more active uh, within their working
3: environments
1: i completely agree um I'm mindful of your time and mindful that we've been, uh, we've been nattering for, for a while now. Um, I just wanted to touch on what's next for you. Like what, what have you got coming up? Any, uh, any races, anything that you're, you're particularly excited about? What's uh, what's on the, uh, what's on the cards?
2: So on the race agenda front, I've got a race in two weeks time in Oman, which is Oman by UTMB. So the UTMB, which is the race we talked about earlier, um, the crazy 170 kilometers around um, Blanc, it's like a lot of other race companies is franchised. I mean, Mm. it makes sense. It's a business development model. And they've now got a race in China. I think there's one in South America that's kicking off next year. And this is the first time they've run it in Oman. So I heard about it. And having lived in the Middle East and I've been to Oman a few times, it just looked Pretty meaty, to be honest. Mm. Um, so it's, they've kept it small. There's only 300. So um, I kind of got an invitation to go and take part. The 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 lineup looks pretty phenomenal. Some of the athletes turn the line. Yeah, um, right.
1: What are the what are the vital statistics? Uh, distance, elevation.
2: So it's 137 kilometers, seven thousand okay. eight hundred meters of ascent. It does look it's quite scrubby it looks a bit rocky in places okay um like o- oman if you've seen the pictures like they have like grand canyons a bit like america
1: i have yeah they were they were spooking it out um i remember a while back as a as a destination for mountain biking and adventure sports mm-hmm. and things of that nature so i'm, I'm yet to go but i'm I, I, i'd be yeah it's on the it's on the cards
2: yeah, do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going heading over with a friend, um, Lucia, who she's another of um, WAA athlete. Um, nice. So we'll both be kind of towing the line, which should be great. So that's that's this year, and then at the moment I'm kind of waiting out to see if I can get a place at Hong Kong One Hundred,
3: which oh, cool.
2: is, is the end of January. Um, It's more because I've broken my season up with triathlon. I'm like, actually, do I just keep going into January and then take a more of a break, kind of February, March, April, May, uh, and then looking at racing um, Lavaredo, which is in Italy in the Dolomites, which I've not raced before. It looks beautiful. Mm. And these are all part of the Ultra Trail World Tour, which, you know, within the ultra world, there's different companies, different organizations. This is... it cites itself as the premier, you know, it's got the UTMB and MDS in, which are, you know, the tough races though. You can kind of start arguing about a piece of string. Let's be honest.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: And within that, they have a ranking system and it's almost a, do you hang your hat on it or do you not? So it has been my name this year to two. And then next year, though I might mix it up and do some interesting things. It's like, it's like a little mm. FKT that I might want to have a go at, and that's you know, a bit different. I do feel that sometimes with these larger races, a bit like Ironman, mm. so many people do them. Um, the impact on the environment, You know, when mm. you have 2,500 people, that's just in the UTMB running around the UTMB trail. What impact is that having on the environment? And actually, for me, standing on the start line with 2,449 other people or whatever, I'm like... Uh, Um, so I, yeah, I do sometimes just like going off and having my own adventures or doing kind of more low key races and sporting like smaller organizations. Um, so yeah, exciting time That's running and then Mm. coaching wise, it's still about very much pulling together my experience and I'm on a bit of a mission to encourage other coaches to step out doors with their clients. Right. um that's awesome so I mean conversations I was at Henny Business School at a conference about mm. walking and talking with their master students and hopefully maybe getting some academic research behind it with Portsmouth University and that's the thing with coaching a lot of the time it draws on so many different disciplines there's a lot of research in the different discipline area but not actually that much on coaching and sure. walking and talking coaching there is like literally nothing not there's a couple of studies so in a way you need to have that academic backing, which then translates into you know, wider culture. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of comes down to coach training, you know, in the future, this is my pie in the sky. I'd love to have coach training that's, you know, probably outdoors. So you can go and do like a walking and talking course that, you know, maybe I've signed, um, yeah. by the ice. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> but that's like bigger, bigger picture, bigger goals will take a bit of time to move towards or work in progress
1: that's awesome well as soon as that certification uh is off the ground sign me up i will be one of your first uh, i'll be one of your first guinea pigs um that's uh that's fantastic um it's been an absolute pleasure i reckon i reckon we could do a round two at some point as well because I, I i don't i we we barely scratched the surface here um
2: You've, but, you've just got more questions to ask for your race next, I, I really
1: next year. do yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> like definitely before I race um, tell people, when,
2: when, is it, when is it again in the series remind me
1: um it's may so it's the yeah it's it's not till may Ironman man have just bought the bought the race now as well so um yeah they um they they're on a rampage they're buying up everything but there you go i have
2: actually done that race that was before I became vaguely decent yeah you know, <laughs> i've got a, I've got a I've got a buckle somewhere. Um, I, I think it was 100. Yeah, yeah, got a hundred. Okay.
1: So yeah. It was under,
2: right, 40, nice. under 14 hours. Yeah, yeah.
1: Silver. Yeah. That's my, that's my goal for when I do it as well. Yeah. If I, if I we can
2: have matching ones. <laughs> yeah. I'm putting,
1: putting it out there. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, tell people where they can find you. Give a, give a shout out to your, uh, to your sponsors and any, any last parting words for, for the audience.
2: So, um, social media wise, I am Twitter and Instagram at RSM Coaching. So that. Rfm coaching and then website exactly the same www.rfmcoaching.com. Yeah, I'm very very kindly supported by a French company actually, ultra endurance company called WAA, which stands for What an Adventure, um, which clearly aligns with my approach to life. And then nutrition wise as well, I've been working with a company that it's got its roots in cycling actually, and it's called Velofort um mm. it's just a new a new setup and they are doing some absolutely amazing work and have super super tasty bars um and very much based on like dried fruit nuts pull them together sure. um a range of six different ones i'm not sure if they they, they ship to um, Australia I'm not sure about that one but I definitely recommend testing them out
1: I've not seen them um, but I'll, I'll look out
2: look out and I've got a little discount code as well which is oh, cool. unsurprisingly RFM oh, and coaching um, so pop that there in you and go. get yourself a little 20% discount and you know you may have listeners who are in the UK who can try that um, yeah. but yeah spread the word because I be, I am super picky with nutrition Yeah. I've yeah. tried so many different bars and actually these get a really nice balance of not too sweet like palatable, sure. not chalky, like nice squidginess. So, yep. okay. oh, worth like,
1: a try. Okay, I'll put links to all those in the show notes. I'll put the discount code in there as well, so anyone who wants to check it out gets a twenty percent diff- discount. Um, Anna Marie, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: It's been it's been amazing. It's been so great. I've been so excited about catching up. I was like, thank you, <laughs> Ben, earlier.
3: I was speaking to
1: Phil tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to say selfishly. Selfishly, we haven't caught up in a little while, so this has just been uh, this has been this has been lovely. There could have been no mics on here, and we would have had the same conversation. <laughs> so there much, you know. yeah.
3: go. <laughs> it <Get> out together. <laughs> Good stuff.
1: Okay. Well, uh, best of luck with uh, best of luck with the race in Amman in a couple of weeks' time, and I'll um, I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on uh, how you get on perfect thank you that okay.
2: always helps as well i love i love the way that i kind of know that there's people kind of shouting me out mm. from all over the world which is just really lovely and then yeah. i'm like so interested in what other people are doing as well and kind of you know clearly facebook and how people are racing and you know when i was in south africa catching out with some of the more performance crew as well was really nice
0: so yeah oh, it's, a, it's a it's a fun little global community Thank you, Anna, for your time and amazing conversation. Keep crushing it wherever you are in the world. We really, really appreciate you. And thank you, listeners, for staying until the end. Please subscribe, rate, and comment on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever else you can find us. And we are on Spotify, which is very cool. If you like what we're saying and you like this podcast, we would love it if you could share these episodes with a friend. If you really want to share it, you can figure it out. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. There's a whole bunch of share icons and links. And just look at my email or, you know, do it on Facebook or wherever you choose to communicate with your friends. Thanks again. Peace.